0: Welcome to the MRX Influencers Podcast, where you come for the insights, but stay for the good times. I'm Dan Fleetwood, and on this podcast, I chat with the best and brightest minds in the research space. On this episode, I chat with John Last, who is the president of the Sports and Leisure Research Group, and Stephen Krauss, who is the executive director of the MRII. We conducted a webinar on brand opportunities and dominant consumer trends, And on that webinar, we received so many questions that we thought it would be good to do a follow-up Q&A. So what you're about to hear is that Q&A. You don't need to have previously listened to the webinar to pick up what's going on. So feel free to sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation that I have with Steven Krause and John Last. All right, let's get started. Hey guys, welcome. It's Friday, we're back live again. So this is a special episode if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we, John Last, Steve Krauss, and I did a consumer trends webinar around 2021, 2022, even going back into, you know, 2020. And we wanted to do a follow up largely because we got literally hundreds of questions both before and then after the webinar around, you know, different trends, specific questions. So we thought it'd be a good opportunity to spend, you know, 30, 40 minutes with. All of you and just bring up some of those questions and talk about them, so that was the goal today. So, Steve, John, welcome.
1: Good to be back. Thanks, Dan. Yeah,
0: Thank was- you.
2: I'm, you know, I think widely known as the Live with Dan Fleetwood super fan, so I'm always happy to be back. <laughs> That's <on> true.
0: <laughs> That's true. I, I got the t shirt as well, Steve. So, you know, there you go. I like yeah. that. I like that. I Any mean, live person, with Dan there, branding there, there's, I can get, right? there you go. <laughs> yeah. Awesome so for those of you that don't know Steve Krauss is the executive director of MRII the Market Research Institute International John Lass is president of sports and leisure research group and then I lead the research and insights platforms here at Question Pro So like I said we're excited to come to with you today with answering questions what we wanted to do is just frame up kind of do a, a little bit of a summary of what we talked about last time so everybody that maybe is new can kind of get up to speed. But what we wanted to do is just kind of talk about this. So Steve, I think this is one that you kind of wanted to bring up again. So I'll let you, you speak to this one.
2: Yeah. So we did, I think, a really interesting webinar a couple of weeks ago, and you can go check out the entire webinar. It's out on YouTube and on LinkedIn and all over the place. So we did get, like, as Dan said, literally hundreds of questions. So we want to answer those today. So we picked out just four or five slides just to recap the really big issues and takeaways. And I think the biggest one is that you know, as consumers look to the future, as we ask them some questions about where do you think the year of 2022 is going to end up, they're really just kind of hoping to get back to where they were a couple of years ago. So we had some really interesting data that Question Pro collected, and we asked about how satisfied are you with all these different aspects of life? And so we had like six personal aspects of life, your life, your family's life, your career, your finances, that kind of stuff. We also had a series of questions about satisfaction with different aspects of society and culture and America as a whole and the job market and the stock market and all that kind of stuff. And we got pretty similar results across all of those. And what's really interesting is that we asked these questions over the period of a couple of years. So when we asked these questions back in July 2020, and we asked on a 10-point scale, how are things going today in all these personal areas of your life, in your life, your family's life, your career, so on, so on? On a 10-point scale, people were rating it July 2020 at a 6.9. So remember, that's a couple months into the pandemic. People were Mm -hmm. still watching Tiger King and baking bread and doing all that (laughs) kind of stuff. And then we said back in July 2020, how do you think things are going to be at the end of the year of 2021, the end of the following year? People were really optimistic, giving it a 7.6. We're going to bounce back from this. We're going to move on. Pandemic things in the last couple months. Now, when we ask these questions in January of 2022, you see you know, how we've kind of fallen back. We're at a 6.5, so we're not even as good on how we feel about these things as we were in July 2020. And then when we ask about how, how things are going to be at the end of the year, you can see we're really just hoping to break even. We're really just hoping mm-hmm. to get back to where we were in July 2020. So a lot of that optimism has really been diminished, diminished expectations, a sense of disappointment. You know, it's perhaps not a huge surprise just as things have gone on and on. But that's kind of the first big takeaway. By the end of this year, we're just hoping to to scratch back to where we were a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah, I think this is interesting, Stephen. The more I'm thinking about this, you know, when we did this survey, it was probably at the height of Omicron, like, third, right? And it's interesting that this data, I think one thing would be interesting, this is like a footnote, is to do this again in six months just to see where people are at and how that compares. So I think we should do that just as a side note.
1: And we're actually looking at it on, on a monthly basis with our back to normal barometer. Mm-hmm. I remember when we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, this is so spot on with what we've been tracking. Our, our most recent data, which actually came out after that particular broadcast, we haven't really moved much at all. In fact, we've got some data that basically shows people's expectations of getting back to pre-pandemic conditions. Only about a third think we're even going to be there by the end of 22. So not to be Debbie Downer on a Friday, but that's <laughs> not what we're hearing
0: we're getting back there. It's not getting worse, John, right? So that's yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So here's how I kind of think about this is a very famous psychologist, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who talked about the stages of grief when you know someone in your life, God forbid, passes away or, you know, you get diagnosed with some kind of terrible illness. What are the stages that people go through psychologically? And I think that's exactly what consumers are going through because we thought the vaccines were going to be the end. We thought vaccines were the light at the end of the tunnel. And now we're realizing it's not quite working out that way. And you can see the stages that people generally go through, a stage of denial, a stage of anger, of bargaining, and there's kind of a depression, learned helplessness phase. But then at the end, as people kind of psychologically, emotionally work through all these issues, they get to this phase of acceptance and say, "Okay, well, this is the way it's going to be. I need a new plan. I need to move forward with my life. I have to you know, not let these bad things that are going on define me. I think that's where consumers are. And then I think what's really interesting is if you look down there at the bottom of that of that graph, you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross as a psychologist was kind of counseling psychologists on how to help people and, and trying mm. to communicate what is it that people need at these different stages. So when it first starts, people need information and communication. And we probably now have maybe... Maybe too much of that, and it's too conflicting and it's overwhelming. And then in the middle, people need emotional support, but now they need guidance and direction. And I think that's a huge opportunity for brands. Because if you think about that acceptance stage, that's where people are right now. They say, you know what? I've got to move on. I'm going to start traveling again. I'm going to start going to conferences again. Mm -hmm. And so I think for brands to come in and say, hey, you're rethinking parts of your life, you're redefining your life and what's important to you and how you're going to live. You know, you remember when the pandemic first hit, every brand came out with that same ad. But in these unprecedented times, we're there for you. Well, (laughs) now it's kind of time for a different sort of ad that every brand can do. It's like, we understand you're rethinking parts of your life, and we're there for you to help you build the new habits and the new patterns in your life.
0: I think it makes sense. Like, we were there for you during the unprecedented times. Now we're going to be here for you to get back to the (laughs) pre-unprecedented times, right? Almost something like that. So it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, like I think I mentioned on the webinar that we did, you start to think about it in terms of the context of the past couple of years. And I think everybody can kind of pinpoint, like, when they were in denial, when they felt anger, when they began kind of bargaining, like, well, this isn't so bad. We'll get out of it by the end of the year, as we saw in the numbers, right? And then now, sort of the depression, like, wow, it's going to be a little bit longer. And then I think you're right, Steve, like, largely the acceptance around, okay, it's going to be here. We have to live, you know, kind of coexist with it, so... That's very yeah. true, very true. I, I see
2: it in my own life. And I know, John, like you're back out there, you're a trap, and you're going to conferences again.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because we, absolutely, and, and in some of our barometer data, like we track tracked like 14 different activities that people actively were involved with that they enjoyed doing before the pandemic. And the average of all these activities, like 90% of the people are back doing these things again or at least are willing to do them again without any hesitation. But the problem is they're not having as much fun doing it we keep seeing, there's two phenomenon, we don't have slides, we have in the original presentation, but we talk about these whole COVID liberation moments, as we call it, times when Mm -hmm. people feel that they've gotten their pre-pandemic life back, and the percentage of people that have actually gotten to that stage is not that high, so it kind of goes to, when you think about it from a brand standpoint, how are you going to work within the framework of what we're dealing with, but at the same point, how are you going to really kind of get people to feel like this is what they long for. It's, it's a real challenge and the brands and the activities that can do that successfully are the ones that I think are really reaping the benefits now as people do get back out with still that that lingering plow over their heads.
0: Right, right. And I think that makes a ton of sense. And then yeah. I know, you know, John, you were talking about sort of the pandemic helping us reprioritize time allocation. Can you Kind of refresh us on this one.
1: There's so many interesting things that the pandemic taught us and kind of accelerated and amplified. We've got a lot of interesting data about how folks reprioritize the workplace. And certainly that's a big topic in its own right in terms of work from home and hybrid. And particularly in the leisure space that we deal with, one of the big inhibitors that always existed in terms of people's ability to actualize was that, you know, before the pandemic, it was, I just never had enough time to do the things I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Well, As you can see by the data on this particular slide, what the pandemic has actually taught people is, wow, now, I, you know, at the beginning, I had all this time to, you know, not enough good things to do it. And now they kind of learn whether it's reducing the commute or being more flexible about when they work. People have now kind of learned how to better allocate their time. And again, that's something that I think people can seize upon. We do a lot of work in the golf space. Shameless plug, you know, sample of one. I spent a good chunk of my month of January down in South Florida, and I'm from New York. I'd work, you know, from seven thirty in the morning until four o'clock in the afternoon, and then I go out and play nine holes, and I'll work again when I get back. It's not just me that's doing that. There's a lot of people that have really kind of taken that flexibility, and that changes the dynamic of how they do work-life balance. So that's a huge thing to think about as brands again position themselves to to kind of come back in ways that are really going to compel
0: consumers. Right, makes sense. Makes sense. And then I know you kind of wanted to talk about and give people a recap of the you know majority of Americans still feel isolated. Can you yeah, speak to this a little bit?
1: That's the negative aspect, having time on your hands and work from home is that, and, and work from home is something that we continue to see not going away. In our latest barometer, we've still got about a third and a third and a third who are either hybrid work from home or in the, in the office full time. And that creates isolation. It creates you know the fact that you know, I have, you know, Dan, you and I've gotten to know each other pretty well over the last few months, but I've never seen you below your belt. Not that, you know, I'm trying to make it <laughs> out of that. But, you know, people look at me on a Zoom call and then when they meet me face-to-face for the first time, they're like, John, I didn't realize you were 6'3". You're a tall guy. Like, you know, yeah. You're just lacking that water cooler conversation. And we found in some of our qualitative work that some of that is certainly contributing to not only the divisiveness that we're seeing throughout the country in terms of people. Perspectives on different issues, but it's also really you know creating senses of mistrust. It's creating you know more reliance on people's echo chambers, and that's again from a marketing communication standpoint, something that really has to carefully be navigated around. You know, we'll throw issues out and we'll look at them based on people's ideology, and it's, it's truly to Americas. Um, you know, a lot of you guys, you're you're out in California, Steve, and Dan, you're in Texas, and I've spent time in both states in the last couple of months, and. I feel like I'm in two, two totally different places. Yeah,
0: so, well, it's true. Yeah. It's definitely true. I think depending on where you go, you're in different places, different, like, obviously, one's more locked down than the other and so forth. But it's interesting that when, you know, just this slide and kind of something that came to mind is, I think it's also like you're isolated, but you have to get used to the new tools and technology. Like, I noticed I've talked to some people where they thought, wow, I was never really good at talking on the phone or via Zoom call. They had to adapt and get better at these things, so... I think while they're isolated, I've heard from a number of people that they also had to kind of hone their skills on the medium that is in front of them. So it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think finally here, we wanted to kind of, that was sort of an outlook on where we're at now, but then where are we going? Some different, you know, 2022 expectations. So Steve, I know you wanted to speak to this a little bit.
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think I've personally felt a lot of the trends that we've already talked about. You know, the isolation, you know, and actually just last night, I had the opportunity to go out for the evening to Hayes Valley in San Francisco, which is kind of, you know, rapidly gentrified a lot of bars, restaurants. I'm like, oh, this will be good. You know, I'm so isolated. I want to get out and get back to doing the old things that I've done before. And, you know, and it was a lot like it was. There were were a lot of people around. Yeah, you got to show your vax card at the door. But then I also kind of had that moment that you were talking about, John, of being a little bit disillusioned, like, wow, mm-hmm. you know, this hip, trendy bar is crazy crowded. Everybody is younger and more attractive and better dressed than I am. So that, that's, that's not a good experience. And then, yeah, but it'll be good to get out. And, you know, oh, yeah, I, I forgot, you know, a margarita costs $15 when you're out. I've right. forgotten about that. So that whole feeling just being a little bit disillusioned is something that we see come up a lot among consumers. We also ask consumers, just in a purely open-ended way, what do you think the year is going to be like? And so, you know, I won't go through all those there. You kind of have the higher-level themes over on the left. But I think that whole sense of personal uncertainty. And so I think my favorite response was somebody uh, when asked, you know, what's 2022 going to be like for you? They responded with the classic line from the Magic 8-Ball, which is, you know, cloudy, try again later. (laughs) So I think there's a lot of uncertainty. As a result of that, we're seeing people kind of trying to take greater control over their life. And, you know, like I said, it kind of goes through this mindset of, okay, you know, if I wait for certainty, I'm never going to do anything. So I'm going to plow it. I'm going to start, you know, traveling again or going out to the hip trendy bar or, you know, we haven't quite gotten to that, you know, boom in weddings that everybody was talking about was going to happen because I think Mm -hmm. Omicron still makes the whole travel outlook a little bit murky. But, you know, you see kind of the general sense of where people are at, that there's kind of this general sense of optimism amid tremendous uncertainty, a real focus on self-care, the kinds of things that people always say when you ask about goals for the New Year's and New Year's right. resolutions. and But I think there's probably a better chance that those, the ambition to achieve those things is going to be more lasting this time around. That's kind of my takeaway.
1: It's a good takeaway. And, and control is a word you hit on that has also been very pervasive in a lot of the work that we've been doing. You know, How can you First of all, there's a greater expectation and a greater demand to be in control, whether it's in the workplace or in terms of brand choice. But from a COVID perspective, you know, where are the circumstances where you feel more in control, where you can understand that what you're, you know what you're getting into and that it's going to meet the needs and expectations that you have? And I think, particularly with all that isolation and time away from it, the brands and experiences that can create that better opportunity to convey control are also going to be much more able to push through quicker. Stuff
0: I think that's awesome. So why don't we jump right into the q and I know we have a lot of questions to get to, so I'm just going to stop sharing here and then bring up these questions. Now, as I mentioned, and Steve mentioned as well, we had literally like hundreds of questions, everything from wanting us to predict what's going to happen with inflation to the stock market. I don't think any of us are financial advisors or anything like that. So we wanted to kind of steer away from those types of questions. I think if we knew, we probably... Wouldn't be sitting here on this call, maybe I'm not sure. But we'd We'd still be on
1: it, but we'd just be in a much nicer place.
0: Hey, that's a good point, John. You're (laughs) right. I like that. From like the COVID pandemic, when's it gonna end? What's the outlook? Well, we'll touch on the COVID pandemic and some questions as it relates to different consumer trends, behavior, especially in the leisure space and so forth. So, like what's next for baby boomers, Gen Z, millennials, NFT, crypto? The questions were I would say everything that I mentioned there, plus some. So We kind of boiled it down to four main topics so the questions that we'll address today are consumer trends and behavior a few questions around the research industry specifically travel leisure tourism restaurants in that bucket and then general business questions so why don't we start off with just some general consumer trends and behavior questions that came up as we're talking i'll make a note here if the audience has questions you guys have questions Put them in the chat, wherever you're viewing this, if it's on YouTube, Facebook, or LinkedIn, put them in the chat. We'll try to get some in real time that come up as well, either maybe questions, burning questions that you've had, or if we're talking about something, another question comes up, feel free to put those in. We'll answer some live as well. And so the first question I think why don't we cover is what will people keep spending on goods versus services or goods versus experiences rather, and then how sustainability is becoming an issue when thinking about buying more, you know, stuff in general. So kind of breaking this down, goods versus services and experiences. I'll just make one quick point. So I did a quick poll this morning on over the past year, have people been spending more on goods or services? And it was actually either more on goods or both goods and experiences equally. So it was kind of interesting to me. And I think that trend will sort of continue, but I'd love to get, you know, Steve and John, your guys' thoughts as well.
1: Yeah,
2: John, you want to jump in first? Or?
1: Yeah,
0: we're looking at it a lot from an experiential
1: standpoint, you know, mm-hmm. obviously in the sectors that we cover. Experiences, you know, as we see it, continue to be really critical, and they become maybe even more acute when you've gone through what the last two years have been like. I always harken back to something, you know, back earlier in my career, we were doing a study for a publication that was, was in was one of the leading golf publications, and the question kind of surfaced right after 9-11, is this gonna be more trivial after something so serious? And surprisingly, the answer, which was very similar to what we've seen within the pandemic, was quite the opposite. People kind of valued and recognized the scarcity of time that they have to enjoy different things. So as you come back and as certain activities can convey control, which is a big it, the ability to do that now becomes much more accelerated. I wanna make up for lost time. I want to, you know, do something that I may never have a chance to do again because it illustrates the frailty of life. So we've seen, you know, particularly in the sectors that we cover, there's, there continues to be a really strong emphasis on what constitutes the right type of experience. And obviously with the pandemic, there's a lot of other safety and security and trust issues that, that have to be built into that. So we've seen a lot of focus on that, particularly as a number of the activities have come back and need to make up for lost time as well.
2: Yeah, I think that point about people really trying to take control of their time and rethinking mm-hmm. their time and people who have discovered an hour or two or more in their day because they're not commuting as much as they were. are really thinking very carefully how to reallocate that time. And a lot of that, of course, goes to experiences. And so I, I think there's been kind of a long term trend over the last 10 or 20 years toward more of a focus on spending on experiences and travel has been up and restaurants have been up. Again, you know, over the long term, obviously, a lot of that took a hit with the pandemic. We are seeing consumer spending overall. And we had a chart on this in our, our full webinar. Overall, consumer spending is back to, you know, higher than it was, was pre-pandemic. But I think it's gone through some sort of mini phases. So I think when the pandemic first kicked in, I actually did an article on home-related trends as the pandemic kicked in. And you could really see a lot of this just by looking at Google Trends and what it was that people were searching for. So people were searching for, you know, density solutions as everybody was spending more time at home. You know, how are they going to make that work? So not only just things like more comfortable furniture, but, you know, searches for room dividers went way up. Searches for Murphy beds way up. So those are the beds that kind of fold up into a wall. Even creating like psychological spaces in the home, you know, kind of an experiential aspiration, but people were buying things to help them like create like a breakfast nook. I'm spending so much time at home. how can I get different psychological experiences within the home. Of course, you know, all of that, you know, when the pandemic first hit, we were still on kind of the tail end of Marie Kondo mania, where people (laughs) were focused on streamlining and getting rid of things. But there was kind of this market for buying things to help you organize and streamline. And I think now, I think there still is this pent up demand for real experiences, whether it's restaurant or the coming wedding boom, or there's a real hunger to get out there and travel and we saw some consumer activity in that area, and then Omicron has sort of dialed that back a little bit. So I think we're still waiting for that big spending boom on experiences. And that's something that people are kind of grieving a little bit. We thought vaccines were going to solve everything, and we're kind of grieving the loss of that. And with that is the loss of that, oh, I'm going to get back to all those fun things that I did in life and as I dip my toes in those waters. It's just not quite as fun as I thought it was going to be.
0: I think that's interesting and almost consumers had to buy more. They had to focus on spending more on goods because they couldn't spend it on experiences, right? Just practically you were at home. So you had to buy goods to create experiences at the house, I think is, it's kind of interesting there. And I think in terms of sustainability becoming an issue when thinking about buying more stuff, probably is always an issue. I think sustainability was a hot topic even before the pandemic and people were consuming. So I think it's always something that will be there. And is obviously like a side effect of when people don't need the stuff anymore, what do they do with it? So there's always a sustainability thing, I, I think. Yeah, I,
2: I think sustainability is now it's really it's a must have. It's not a differentiator anymore. It's the cost of doing business and consumers are expecting that in every category. Even if you look at something like, you know, in fashion H&M, which invented disposable fashion, it's mm-hmm. completely pivoted towards sustainability. And I think it's the cost of entry now. It's not a differentiator, especially for younger consumers.
1: Yeah, we just did a fairly large study with the public affairs Pro in D.C. and State University on that whole topic. And and you're absolutely right, Steve. It's kind of become table stakes. The question is, uh, you know, in some cases, depending on how broadly you define it, where companies and brands, I think, are needing to be a little bit more conscientious is if they are going to take a position that is somewhat controversial. That comes obviously fraught with a number of different risks. But, you know, from an overall sustainability standpoint, it is table stakes.
0: It's interesting. I think we'll move on to another question here, but when brands are thinking about sustainability and I like how they're advertising it now. So like on a bottle of Windex, I saw 98% made from ocean bound plastic or, you know, something like that. So it makes you like, yeah. wow, I'm, I'm buying this and I'm doing something good for the world. This is awesome. Right. So there are things like that. And even, you know, there's other examples too, but when I saw that, I'm like, wow, there's a marketing effort to attach to sustainability in order to sell more products. So It's kind of this weird circle, but I think an opportunity for brands is to anchor on more of the sustainability and what they're doing to help out, you know, the world and so forth. So, interesting. Why don't we move on to another question here. In the similar realm of consumer trends and behaviors, which trends will continue and which will end when the COVID pandemic ends, assuming it ends at some point? Is there anything that you guys think in terms of different trends that we're here now that will end eventually? Or what are your thoughts onto that question?
2: You know, I guess a couple things that come to my mind is that home delivery obviously took a big leap when the pandemic first hit, especially on groceries. I mean, mm-hmm. groceries was one of the categories where home delivery was really lagging. And even if you just look at it as a whole. If you look at the economy as a whole, every year the Commerce Department puts together numbers about you know, what percent of all retail sales happen online. And the number is, is shockingly low. It's like, you know, 12%, 14%. When I go out and I speak and I ask people that question, they're like, 60%, 70%. So, I mean, there's still a lot of room to grow in terms of online commerce, but it varies by category. And groceries was one of those categories where, for a variety of reasons, people were, were not doing it online. And I think really what the data showed was that, you know, it was a massive experiment in trial of a new kind of behavior and the vast majority of those people who then, you know, said, Oh, you know, I've never had my groceries delivered before, but I'm going to try it that they continue to do it. So I think whether it's with home delivery, I think that's going to continue to grow, especially around the grocery category. Mm -hmm. One thing that took a bit of a dip is, you know, before the pandemic, there was a lot of growth in buy online, pick up in store or, you know, click and collect, whatever you want to call it. And so Mm -hmm. we saw places like Walmart and Target, doing well, and really kind of figuring out how to leverage their big physical footprint in a more e-commerce driven environment. And then as the pandemic has dragged on, a lot of that has sort of come back a little, you know, you know dialed back a little bit. But I think consumers are going to get back to more of that, of, you know, going back to physical retail stores and really mm-hmm. the advantage is going to go to companies that have a good understanding of omni-channel marketing. So that's one thing I see happening.
1: And I think what you're also getting at, Steve, is the certain amount of flexibility. And what I mean by flexibility is the two that kind of strike me in some ways sound kind of paradoxical. Because what I'm seeing perhaps more of is what we're doing right now in that face-to-face communication now can take on a digital breakup you know, basis. I know a lot of people, and we haven't really asked this, but it's actually something I probably should ask. I don't really want to get on the phone anymore. I want to do this. I want to still at least see the people that I'm talking to because mm-hmm. there's something about at least physically or virtually looking someone in the eye and understanding who they are. And that kind of brings people close together, particularly if we see hybrid work mm-hmm. or out of homework, we remain a big part of what we're going to have. And I think we are. So that's there. But on the other hand, I look at fitness, right? You, you know, Peloton's been on such a horrible ride of late. I think people are going to be getting back out, you know, to doing those types of social activities together. But the fact that they have the option to do it either way is kind of, like I said, it's kind of paradoxical in the sense that, you know, you need to be able to meet the customer where he or she is. And, and that's something that we always like to talk about figuratively. But now I think as the pandemic has taught us, and as we continue to see different perspectives on different things, you've got to be able to meet them where they want to be. And that's not going to be universal. Um, the segment of one, I think, has been amplified by the last two years.
2: Mm, that's a great phrase. The segment of one has been amplified. And I think you're right. a lot of it does come down to flexibility. I and mean, you think about the whole hybrid work thing, that it's not going to be entirely just work from home, but it's going to be another one of these kind of, you know, it's a new time, you got to design your own life, you got to design what you really want. So I know at, at first, I was a little skeptical about, you know, how commonplace work from home was going to be, maybe because I'm out here in San Francisco. So I look at places like Google and Facebook and Apple and places that spend millions of dollars giving their employees great food because they don't want them, their employees spending a half an hour to go across the street to the sandwich shop. They want it mm-hmm. all right there. So, you know, they've and certainly you know Google has continued to invest in real estate and in offices. So I think those big tech companies are really going to try to get people back in. But even then, I think those big tech companies have had to acknowledge that this desire for flexibility and hybrid is really huge. The only other thing I would mention is kind of a trend that I really think is going to stay is I think that the pandemic and zoom and virtual communication has given people a much more global kind of mindset, but now Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. You know, employees can be anywhere. Oh boy, there's that interesting conference in Singapore that I never would have gone to in a million years. Oh, but now it's zoom. So I can do that. So I think there's, Mm -hmm. It's kind of a global mindset that I think is going to
1: be a lasting thing. Yeah, it's a greater connectivity, like I said before. Right. The fact that we can actually see each other from all over the world is, to me, such an enhancement. Like I, said, you, I never want to make a phone call. Again. I want right, great.
0: Right. This is sort of a off-the-cuff question, but do you feel like more it's a coexistence of things, of Zoom versus in-person, brick-and-mortar versus solely online? To me, it feels like there's more of a, like a cohesiveness with all of these things where I think people previously thought like, no, it has to be all online, but now we're seeing, well, you can order online, pick up the same day in the store. And I don't even have to go into the store. They'll bring it to me. So there's still that instant gratification of getting the thing, but maybe lower prices or convenience. Same thing with zoom or in person. I always felt like there are people like, Oh no, it must be on zoom. No, it must be in person. But now it feels like there's much more of a meeting in the middle of, yeah, some things can be on Zoom, but we still need it in person for other things. So I think that's sort of an interesting trend. I haven't really, ex- obviously, explored it too much, but less of, like, not either or, but more and, right? And togetherness between seemingly two different mediums or technologies, whatever you want to, however you want to phrase it.
1: Yeah, no, it's, again, it's it's flexibility. I mean, I just did my annual state of the industry conference presentation for the golf industry, and, and I'll be at the show last week, and a lot of people weren't there. So... We did it virtually. It's always been a breakfast for the people who were going to be virtual. You know, we sent them Uber Eats cards because, you know, you wanted to kind of simulate that, you know, we're having breakfast together. thing. So it's right, you know, right. it comes the flexibility and creating personal comfort.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Why don't we, we'll move on to a different category. There's a few more consumer trends and behaviors we can circle back to, but I want to make sure we at least give, give time to each one of these. I think next let's skip to the research industry. You probably have a lot of research folks on the call. There were some questions that came up about the research industry. What does this mean? I know like the first thing that kind of question that I saw was kind of a two-part question around how has survey research changed over the past two years, and then what implications of changes for client corporations and research suppliers. So I think this one is interesting, two-part. I would say that I know SMR did a great study in, in conjunction with, I think, Insights Association and a number of others around. Sort of the, they do an annual study around this. So if you're looking for specific things on how this affects the research industry versus corporations, research suppliers, definitely check that out. I know during the pandemic, I think it was a kind of a where budgets were shrinking and the corporations had to bring more things in house and do more things with different tools. So, but luckily, like the overall amount of research being conducted is still, you know, increasing. So it's not like, it lowered everything. I think just the relationship between corporations and suppliers changed. So definitely check that study out. I would say, and then I'll let you know, John and Steve comment here around survey research, how I've seen it changed is there's definitely more suppliers, even in the past two years than there were before, but more niche things where there's, you know, in-app survey suppliers, there's agile, there's specific for customer experience, and even in niche areas of restaurants or retail, like very specific things. So I would say just the vast majority of options has definitely increased. But I think also during the pandemic, in sample, or if you're, you know, you're getting people to take your survey, the supply has really increased because people are at home, they're not doing as much, they're more able to answer surveys. And I think with that came, obviously, a lot of, you know, fraud, people gaming the system and so forth. So The clampdown on data quality over the past few years has been paramount. I think in terms of, it's not a question of if you need to do it, it's how stringent can you be really? And getting that good data in, I think everybody has like, you know, some horror stories around different data and so forth. So I think that it's more of an auxiliary point to survey research that this is something that I think every supplier or platform should be taking into account. I know we are a question are you know, spending not only time, but you know, investment in this area. And I think that's probably one of the biggest areas that I've seen it, you know, change aside from all of the different companies and things spawning up as a result of that. But what about you guys in terms of implications for just the research world at large? What do you guys see? What are you guys hearing out there? John, what do you think?
1: You know, you hit on so many really good points, Dan. I think what really stands out for us, and it's been a hot button of mine for a while, is specialization and the ability of, at least from the standpoint of a third-party research firm, the ability to integrate knowledge base and context to become more consultative. And, you know, we've heard this for years. At least for me, it's something I've preached from the day I started this company and even before that. But, you know, as, as you said, with so many options and people trying to kind of say they can do these things, what you can't lose sight of is the ability to interpret and consult upon what the implications are for what you're collecting. I always had a great line that I used back when I worked in the corporate world, and I said, you know, with no offense intended to our friends there, the only difference between what we offer and what McKinsey offers is we cost about a million dollars per engagement less. And that really was a surrogate to say, look, you have gotta have the gumption to go beyond what the data says and figure out what it means. And that helps in a lot of different aspects that you talked about. It helps in terms of obviously creating utility for the insights that you deliver, but it also helps in some of the simple blocking and tackling in terms of data quality, because you're absolutely right. I mean, we've had studies in the last two years where we've literally thrown out 30% of the completes and gone mm-hmm. back in to do it. And part of the reason why we do it is because, and we'll throw in all these different trap questions and knowledge questions and consistency questions, because there are a lot of people that you know are gaming the system. And particularly in, in an area like us where we're dealing potentially in, in some very narrow verticals. You don't have that background and don't know what to look for. You run the risk of really, really corrupting the data. So has that been accelerated over the last two years? Maybe, but, you know, it's something that we've always had. We've had our eye on even before the pandemic. Whatever right. Makes sense. You look at it so globally that you've probably got a broader perspective than you might
2: Yeah, Dan, I think you raise a lot of good points. And you mentioned that SMR study that Mm -hmm. every year they do their big, I think they call it their buyers and users study that looks at the research industry that identified a couple of big trends. And one, obviously, COVID was a disaster for the world. It was good for market research because you had more companies having to make more decisions faster than ever before Mm -hmm. under states of greater uncertainty. And so there was a greater hunger for consumer knowledge as you mentioned a lot of companies have brought more and more research in house and i think a lot of that has to do with just how easy to use and how sophisticated the self-service survey platforms are so mm-hmm. so dan you're going to take some responsibility for this you've made question pro so good that you know it's not just for asking you know basic attitude and usage questions anymore that you know you've got you know you know putting the capabilities to do to do conjoint in the hands of users and there's a mm-hmm. you know, a little bit of danger that not everybody may know exactly how to do that and really use that but overall you know I think that you know you do see big companies kind of bringing more of that research in house and as a result mm-hmm. suppliers have had to become more niche focused and really say how can I add more value and focus more on insights and really keep an eye on panel quality as you said. Yep. So yeah, I think there are a lot of interesting trends plus that whole notion of, as I talked about like the world is now a more global place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you think about qualitative for example, how now you can do, you know, qualitative online. It used to be, you know, a standard qualitative study was two groups in New York, two groups in Los Angeles and two <laughs> groups in Chicago. Right.
0: We can hit it all. We can get all the demographics and yes. everything we need from that. Yeah. Or
2: or if you really cared about the Hispanic market, then you did two groups in New York, two groups in Los Angeles and two groups in Miami. Yep. Or if you cared about the luxury market, you do two groups in New York, two groups in Los Angeles, two groups in Dallas. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's just a much greater potential for representivity now than I think there was before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really, you know, one of the questions is, you know, data collection trends and techniques, how have it changed during COVID? Don't need to get into this too much, but I think obviously the rise of online qualitative people couldn't meet in person for obvious reasons. And this led to many companies, even Question Pro, not know, others adapting more video streaming capabilities inside of their platform. So that's like one of the biggest trends that I've seen in addition to the things that we've mentioned. But what about you guys? Anything else come to mind? I know, John, you're mentioning online Qual as well. So I think we can really echo that point.
1: Yeah, no, I think you've hit on it. I mean, what, and Steve kind of mentioned it too. I mean, what online Qual, what the last couple of years has proven to us is that you can do online Qual and not suffer in terms of what you're getting and you know perhaps one of the benefits of it obviously is that you aren't shackled by those geographic barriers you know you do a group with six people or eight people from you know eight different markets you can do IDIs in a way that you're obviously much more efficiently going to be able to cover the country so that's been you know the efficiency of that has been a really strong benefit of online call for us now again there's certain limitations, and, and we are getting back out on the road and doing more face-to-face again, which is great. Because it's, you know, you obviously lose a lot of the dynamics of interpersonal, communi- you know, relations as well as you know, some of the things that you can do from a stimuli standpoint. But mm-hmm. you know, again, to that that term from before, flexibility. Now you can do both, and it's just another strength and tool that you have in the researcher's kit of, of ways to kind of create more breath behind a qualitative study.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, great. Why don't we switch gears to, I think, John, this is largely your realm. I'm sure Steve and I are consumers of a lot of these experiences and so forth. But, you know, travel, leisure, tourism, restaurant space, a lot of questions came in for everything from alcohol consumption to restaurants to are people doing leisure activities. So I think, you know, the first question we can talk about is, is there any sense of when all consumers might feel safe and resuming their normal local leisure activities, extracurricular activities with you know for their children. I mean, you talked a lot about, I'm forgetting it now, but what's that point in time that COVID liberation? liberation. Is, that the, is that sort of what you're thinking here? Or what's the data showing in terms of when people might feel that it's safe to return to their so normal there's, local there's leisure? There's two
1: levels to answer that question. I mean, as I said, I mean, people are out doing it now. I mean, it's not that, you know, we're seeing, it's a very small percentage of people who are not, attempting to resume these activities. big mm-hmm. question is what's the experience going to be? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have seen, you know, restaurants continue to get hit. Obviously, with, the, you know, with Omicron coming in that, you know, in the winter coming in, in those seasonal areas of the country, that created, you know, more of a stress on that area. Some of the requirements that not everybody meets or are comfortable with, you know, certainly has hurt. So I think it's kind of become more of a scenario where people are learning to live with it. And, for different people, it's different limitations that they're going to place. You know, I was at the dinner two nights ago, and you know, there were some people that weren't wearing masks at all, and some people, mm-hmm. you know, never took them off except to eat. So it's really, again, very much based upon how people feel personally and how that experience is going to be different for them. And the fact that it isn't consistent, I think, has hurt. You know, and a lot of those activities that are still creating disruption to what the prior experience was that is certainly contributing to feelings that this is underwhelming. It's why some activities have been much more, you know, warmly embraced. I hate to go back to golf again, but golf's experienced a huge upsurge in participation. It checked all the boxes, you're socially distant, you're outside, you're doing something physical, you're with people and, you know, you're meeting all those numbers. Going to a movie, you know, we've done a lot of work with the National Association of Theater Operators as part of the barometer. They had a much tougher hill to climb. So, mm-hmm. who knows? You know, we, our data—the last set of data that we just got a couple of weeks ago—more than a third of Americans don't feel that masks are ever going away.
0: Mm. That's a problem. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> it's funny. I was wondering that myself the other day. I thought, are we always going to be wearing masks? Like, you know, three years ago, we thought like you're going to have to wear a mask every day. You would have thought people are like crazy, right? But now it's. It's so commonplace. It's a
1: more than a third of people think that's never going away. It's, it's, yeah. it's amazing. And it's, you know, I think I told the story when we got together a couple of weeks ago, I'm out in LA and, you know, I'm standing six feet behind people at the buffet line, waiting for somebody to work the buffet behind plexiglass for me. And then I'm in Dallas the week after that, and I'm, you know, on shoulder to shoulder with people. In the <laughs> so yeah.
0: Totally different. <laughs> One thing that's funny with the plexiglass, anytime I'm at a store, I find myself always going to the end of the plexiglass where I can like talk around it. So I can, like, feel like I can engage with the person better. So
1: yeah, yeah. I'm the same way, but <laughs> but some of my friends around me kind of scold me for that. <laughs>
0: I know, but it, I don't know. It's just a natural thing. I don't know. Steve, any thoughts to this? resuming to the new normal and so forth? You
2: know, I think you guys hit, I think there's a lot of pent up demand and desire to do it, but there's just so much uncertainty about Omicron and travel. I recently, in a survey that I did, it was among psychologists and psychologists are you know big fans of conferences, both just for the experience, but also many of them need to get continuing education credits. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. going to conferences is a popular way to do that. But we asked about when you are going to feel comfortable going back to in-person conferences and 58% of them said this year. So that was encouraging. So that was by far the biggest one. Then we had another third or so that said, you know, next year and it was kind of spread around, but I think there's pent up demand. We just got to get through the uncertainty that Omicron and travel present right now.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And in terms of another question around this is, you know, casual fine dining market. Someone asked about, you know, how stable is this? Obviously I think the pandemic has, you know, caused some uncertainty here. John, do you have any data around sort of the, the casual fine dining? Restaurant experience?
1: Yeah, you know, that was one of the areas that continues to really throw out some discouraging sentiment in terms of people feeling comfortable. I mean, it doesn't mean they're not doing it, but you know, when we've got a quarter of respondents who did this regularly, who are now eating out less and taking mm-hmm. in more or not necessarily wanting to sit inside when they eat still, that's a challenge. I actually went to dinner last Friday night and sat in an igloo. I don't know if anybody's done that. It was really cool. It was a rooftop cool. restaurant oh, yeah. in New York and you know, and every table had, like, this little igloo on top of it. It was fun. It was cool. Oh. You know, it was snowing, too. So we got to see, you know, the snow kind of come on top of it. Oh, that's so cool. Nice. They're, they're, they're having to adapt. And I think alfresco dining is definitely here to stay. You know, mm-hmm. there's people that are just always going to want to continue to do that, which is great because I love eating outside. But it's still a real challenge. And particularly in those areas where there are more restrictions, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, it's part of it maybe for a lot of us to believe you know, you still got a third of the population that hasn't been vaccinated and, you know, they're banned from those activities at certain Mm -hmm. moments. That's going to have an impact in those markets on those particular establishments.
0: Interesting, interesting. Steve, any comments to this one?
2: I think John said it well. I think there's also a lot of interesting innovation going on in those areas, you know, things like ghost kitchens and things like that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, companies kind of rethinking delivery strategies. You know, you've even had, you know, places like, you know, big national chains like Domino's they had a whole promotion where they had bought basically a whole bunch of gift cards for locally owned restaurants. Mm-hmm. And so they were trying to say, Hey, you know, yeah, we'd really like you to eat at Domino's, but if you're not going to, you know, help support your local restaurant. So I think there's a lot of interesting innovation going on there again, because there's still the pent up demand and the uncertainty together.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was interesting. I did read about that campaign and really interesting stuff. Why don't we spend a few minutes just talking about business in general? So where do you think businesses should be spending more of their budget in 2022? Steve, any thoughts here come to mind?
2: Well, a couple of things come to mind. I do think that conferences are coming back. You know, Again, just looking at our field and market research, you know, in-person conferences are coming back. You know, attendance has been stronger than I think a lot of people expected. I think there's still, in so many ways, no substitute for in-person interactions, just the, yeah. the energy and the engagement. So I do think conferences are going to come back. We're also seeing advertising spending come up. And we talked about this on our full webinar that, you know, there are three big advertising agencies that every year do spending projections for advertising and, you know, they use different methodologies, but they all kind of came up with the same, you know, 15 to 25% growth in advertising spending. Wow. That's a reasonably good predictor of economic growth and consumer spending. So yeah. I think you're going to see companies really invest in marketing. And as I talked about, you know, you know, consumer spending is up. So companies are going to, you know, work harder to get that piece of the pie.
0: Interesting. John, what are your thoughts here?
1: I agree, you know, from a spending standpoint, I mean, we have seen wealth accumulation over the last two years in in ways that we haven't before. Obviously there's questions about how sustainable that is. Obviously inflation, you know, kind of may in some ways be exceeding that wealth accumulation, but you know, it's still a very competitive place. I think businesses need to obviously learn more about the customer. That's the self helping plug as researchers I think there's more uncertainty that needs to be, you know, gotten beneath the surface of. But the other piece that, that you guys didn't mention yet that I think is really floating there is spending on people, spending on staff, spending on partners, being able to really meet folks where they need to be in terms mm-hmm. of giving them the actualization that they have. I don't know if you guys agree with me on this, but I just as I look at people coming into the workplace, it's very difficult given the way I was raised and brought up to get my arms around the fact that. Not everybody is necessarily kind of subscribing to that theory that I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to you know move up the organizational ladder and reach you know the ultimate levels of success. Some people don't want that, and the pandemic has perhaps taught us going back to what we talked about earlier about time and flexibility and balance. For some people, you know, that balance is is okay, and I feel that that's much more amplified now than maybe it was when I first started getting into it, or, or maybe it's just because I'm an A type. I don't
0: know. No, I, I think it's an interesting point. And what comes to my mind here with this question is, I think it depends on what business you're in or what category, right? Like, you know, John, you mentioned it with like labor. I think if you're a small service business or local restaurant, or even you're a large company like, you know, Starbucks and you have a labor shortage, like maybe you need to put more of your budget towards, you know, labor, retaining staff, training, whatever it might be. So I think it largely depends on the industry that you're in. So It's interesting, but I do think it's interesting that advertising spending is up because I think that's a good indication of where companies are, you know, they're not shying away from what they think the future is going to hold. And obviously, I think they'd be spending less if they thought they needed to kind of, you know, dial it back a little bit. So that's interesting.
2: Yeah, we see a lot of that in our business at MRII. We're a nonprofit organization focused on market research education and training so we really mm-hmm. offer offer courses and so we've seen pretty strong growth in our business both from individuals who are saying i'm going to go get a new job this year you know we've all heard mm-hmm. about the great resignation people say oh you know i want to you know beef up my skills beef up my credentials but we're also seeing more interest from companies you know big market research firms mm-hmm. or big client side firms saying hey we're losing too many people how can yeah. we invest more money in people how can we show you know, particularly young people who are very focused on mastery and learning new skills you know how can we show our employees that we're really you know engaged in helping them grow so I think in both of those areas education training as an employee perk is something we're really seeing grow
0: yeah I think Steve you must be reading our employee manual or something because we did that here at question pro <laughs> this past year where you need, here's a stipend go learn whatever you want it could be golf lessons guitar like anything that you want to learn more about, whether it's either the industry focus, sales, or even, you know, leisure activities, whatever you wanted. So I think it is a focus and companies more and more are doing that as well. So it's an interesting point there. Great. We talked a lot. Link, one more final question here, and then we can all go back to our in normal days here, whatever the new normal is for all of us. You know, we talked a lot about sort of what's changing, where we're going to go. One interesting question that I thought was, You know what hasn't changed over the past, you know, three years. Anything come to mind, guys, of like things that are still the same and things that haven't changed? I guess
1: where I'd go again is people, you know, Mm -hmm. people to connect with each other. I still think, particularly in our business, in the research business, it is a people business. It is about relationships. The way in which those relationships get forged may be a little bit different. They may be a little bit more varied, but at the end of the day, we rely on each other to make great things happen.
0: I think that's a good point, John, is like people still need that human connection, right? And whether it's any form of the video or in person, that's something that hasn't changed at all, I think, and or at least the need for it, I guess. Obviously, physical boundaries and also you know, COVID and isolation and so forth, but the need for it, I think, is still there. Steve, anything come to your mind here?
2: I think there's always been a sense of what we've called in the past, and some of the reports that you and I have done together, Dan, mm-hmm. bifocal optimism. Mm-hmm. That, you know, when we ask these questions about how are things going in your personal life, your personal life, your family, your job, your finances, people say, you know, on the whole, pretty good. Mm-hmm. But if you ask, how do you think things are going in America, in society, in politics, in race relations? People obviously give much, much lower scores on that. Right. And I think that that's kind of always been the case, but we're seeing growing divergence where you know people are taking greater control over their lives. They're feeling better about the job market. The stock market is pretty strong. But when they look at how things are going in the country, they see all of this division. They're looking forward to the next election with dread. Mm-hmm. I think that sense of bifocal optimism has always been there, and it's really intensifying and diverging.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I think that, that makes sense. All right, guys, I think we can probably end it here. Great questions that came in. Thank you guys for taking the time. To answer these kind of an interesting format that we did with the webinar. Got so many questions and did this Q&A. So I think with that, we can end it for today. John, Steve, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks for and, having me, Man, It's great. You know, just like the last one, I feel like we could, we could talk for another
0: few hours. I know, I feel like we could. <laughs> we only have 90 more questions to answer, yeah. John, so we can, <laughs> we can talk. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Hey, thanks everyone. Appreciate it. You guys have a good rest of your day. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to the MRX Influencers podcast. If you want more information about Question Pro, go to questionpro.com. If you want to follow me, feel free to do so on LinkedIn or Twitter. Until next time, we'll see you later.